to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. I want to read a couple of verses from John chapter 1, from uh, this verse 35, and um, then just discuss a bit of that with you. So it says, The next day John was there again, and two of, his, two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and, said, and asked, what do you want? Or literally, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John, uh, what John had said. And who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means, uh, which when translated is Peter. And it, it actually literally means rock. The next day Jesus decided uh, to go to Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Yet truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He's, uh, and then he added, Very truly, I tell you, or literally, truly, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Powerful portion of Scripture. And what makes it so powerful <clears throat> and so relevant to us is not just that it actually happened. I mean, that's not the only reason why John, as the gospel writer, records this. He doesn't just record it because it happened. It did happen. But a lot of other things happened that John didn't record. So why does he actually record this? And the answer is because there are certain patterns in these verses, repeated words and phrases that, gives us, that give us patterns that apply to all of our lives, not only to the lives of these people, um, of the characters uh, of the history recorded. And we're going to look at some of some of those patterns. Now, um, maybe let me just start by saying, uh, you know, this. Our modern and postmodern society has many people, in our postmodern society, many people have rejected what they see as the old religion. Many people have, you know, come from a religious background and they've rejected what they see as 
um, creative stifling smug moralism you know re dead religion which they experienced as children and that they maybe grew up with and they've rejected that old religion but they've also rejected modernism and that's why it's called postmodernism they've rejected modernism with its uh, strict secularism which just believes in a material world and you know in science and all of that kind of stuff and that that will save us and that all that there is is the material world and what you can do in and through the material world so so they've also rejected that and now they have this new spirituality which says there must be something more than a material you know we're interested in spiritual experience but we're not interested in spiritual truth we want spiritual experience, but we want it on our terms. We want spiritual experience, but we don't care whether it lines up with reality, whether it lines up with truth. So, so you have, on the one hand, you know, the old religion, and you, on the other hand, you have the new spirituality. But what, what we presented with here in these verses is neither of those two. The Gospel of John presents us with a third alternative which is not your old stifling smug moralism the old religion but it's also not the loose anything goes new spirituality it's something completely different and we're just going to um, look at that for a moment and like i said we're going to look at especially some of the patterns you might have noticed that some some words are repeated quite a few times like followed the disciples followed him jesus looked back and saw them following he said to philip follow me so the, the word f follow is repeated quite a few times. Um, another phrase that is repeated is that phrase, come and see. When they ask Jesus, where do you stay? Where do you abide? He says, come and see. When, uh, when uh, Philip talks to Nathaniel and Nathaniel asks him a, a very valid and a very difficult question, which he doesn't seem to have the answer for. I mean, aren't, aren't we as Christians sometimes afraid of that? Isn't that something that sometimes stops us from actually sharing our faith with, uh, with other people? We're afraid we're going to get asked legitimate questions that uh, we don't have the answer to. Now, there are a lot of illegitimate questions, and they're often easy to, to answer. It's like, no, that's a misconception. That's, that's wrong. But there are also some legitimate questions that are difficult to answer. And we're afraid we get those questions. I love what Philip does in response to that. He doesn't, like, freak out and, oh, no, I don't have all the answers. He just says, come and see. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And uh, so this phrase, come and see, is repeated. And, and, and I just want to look at that a bit and, and, and see what that, that happens. It's repeated twice. So firstly, come and see means come and think. Come and think for yourself. In other words, come and examine the evidence. You see, the, the, the irony is, I mean... The old religion, you know, the, 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 the smug moralism and the new spirituality actually are very much the same in this matter. They, they say don't think. No critical thinking allowed. The old religion says just come and believe. No evidence needed, you know, how dare you even question and ask for evidence, you know. Just come on blind faith. You must believe. This is God, you know, how dare you even ask any questions. That's what the old religion says. The new spirituality says, 
No need to ask questions. No need to even consider any evidence. In fact, there isn't any evidence because anything goes. Whatever you believe now is fine. Whatever you already believe is fine. In fact, the only wrong belief is that there is such a thing as wrong belief. Can you see the, the sort of um, irony in that? If you say that the only wrong belief is that there is such a thing as wrong belief, that itself is a belief. <laughs> anyway, so this is an invitation that Jesus and the, and, the, and the writers of Scripture give us. Come and see. Come and examine. Come and think for yourself. Come and think for yourself. You know, when, 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 when the disciples start following Jesus, um, Jesus doesn't immediately say to them, no, this and this and this, you know, and recite the Apostles' Creed and this is what you're supposed to believe and, you know, don't have any questions. He invites them on a journey. None of us, when we come to the Lord, believe, know or believe everything that we should. And we're invited on a journey to come and see, come and discover. Christianity is a journey of discovery. Discovering the one that we have started to follow. That's what Christianity is. And if you, even if you, you're sort of uncertain, you know, um, Jesus invites you, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Okay, so come and see, come and examine the evidence. Uh, Jesus doesn't Im demand immediate belief. He invites you on a process of discovery, a process of examining the evidence, a process of growing in your faith and of learning and, and getting more, uh, learning more and more. Now, on the other hand of, uh, you know, like I say, there, there's room to ask questions, there's room to examine the evidence. Um, there are many people, you know, on the other side, like I said, in, in terms of the new spirituality, that say, actually, I don't want to know. Actually, I just want to believe what I want to believe. In fact, don't confuse me with the facts. I believe what I want to believe. Don't confuse me with the facts. And, and, and to, to them, this invitation is actually a challenge. No, 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 no. Don't just be happy with what you believe and, you know, walk in uh, whatever you think is true, whether it's true or not. Come and see. Come and examine the evidence. I love what Dilbert says. You know Dilbert, the cartoon character? He has this thing that he says, since when is ignorance a valid opinion? <laughs> Since when is ignorance a valid opinion? And, and, and the reality is, so many people who reject Christianity, in fact, everyone that I know that has rejected Christianity has rejected it based either on ignorance or wrong information misconceptions about Christianity. And to them, through saying, come and see, the gospel writer is saying, no, 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 hang on. Ignorance isn't a valid opinion. First come and see. First come and examine the evidence and then make an informed decision. Come and think for yourself. Come and think for yourself. So the first uh, thing that come and see means is come and think. But it also means something more than that. Because, I mean, you might say, but hang on, any... That was fine for John the Baptist to say and, and for, 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 for John and those guys to say in that time because Jesus was actually there. Jesus doesn't have an apartment in Santon or Sapphire Town where I can come and see him. You know, what am I going to do? You know, how can I come and see Jesus when, when he doesn't live here? <clears throat> and think about it. Uh, 
Yes, I mean, that history is recorded there. They went to see Jesus physically. But even for John, who wrote the gospel, the writer of the gospel, even for his first readers, they were in exactly the same situation as we are. Because when he wrote his gospel, Jesus had already ascended into heaven. He wasn't there for them to come and see either. So, so what is John actually presenting us? What is he saying to his readers? How can you come and see when Jesus doesn't have an apartment in your vicinity where you can go and visit him and stay until 4 o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> hmm? How can you come and see? And there are a few ways in which um, this portion of Scripture tells us that we can come and see Jesus um, or how we can come and see Jesus. The, the long and short of it is that what is said in this first chapter is presented as eyewitness testimony. Over and over, I think about five or six times, it says John saw Jesus and he said. He saw something and he said. And, and it, it, in the Greek it uses all the different words you know, for seeing from the normal everyday ones to the technical ones of you know, uh, of seeing and considering, you know, thinking about, and all the technical words for, for saying, you know, just the normal everyday ones, and then also, you know, witnessing, you know, the technical terms of witnessing in a court, like testimony, legally admissible testimony in a court. And, and what he's saying but over and over again is, this is eyewitness testimony. I saw this. This is not something that I heard about secondhand from someone else or that I embellished over time. I saw this myself and this is my eyewitness testimony of Jesus. And that is how you can come and see him through my eyewitness testimony. Um, there's an English professor at, at Duke University in America called, um, um, I think it's Reynolds Price. And he wrote a book in which he says, you know, if you know how to read ancient literature, the, the, the author here is sending clear signals that anyone of that time would be able to understand that this is not fiction. This is not made up. This is reporting. Factual eyewitness reporting. And, and he mentions a few examples. For instance, he says the technical language used of witnessing which is legally admissible eyewitness testimony. But then also just the details. I mean, it says that they stayed with him when they followed Jesus. They stayed with him. And, and it was about four. It was it, Literally, it says that in the Greek, the tenth hour. And they started counting from sunrise. So it was about four in the afternoon. Now, here's the thing. In ancient fiction, now you get a lot of ancient fiction, you know, epics and legends and myths. But in ancient fiction, they never included details like that. Never. I mean, you, you don't get um, Oedipus, you know, sending Credo to uh, consult the Oracle at Delphi, and she came out at around four in the afternoon. Honestly, you never, it's not like you sometimes, you never have that in ancient fiction. You don't have that kind of detail. Never. I mean, and, and, and it says, at the, right at the beginning of, of the thing, it says, and the next day. It doesn't say, once upon a time. Right? It says the next day. All of those are clear signals that this is factual eyewitness reporting through which we can come and see. So come and see also means come and read. But we need to learn to read well in order to come and see by what we read. 
Um, let me just actually read you a quote, a, 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 quite a famous quote by C.S. Lewis that, that actually says this really well. C.S. Lewis was a, a famous um, British author and preacher of the previous century, and um, he wrote uh, The Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity. You know, if you can get his books, read them. They're, they're really good. Um, and, and he says this, There are only two possible views of the gospel accounts. Either this is reporting as close to the facts as Boswell reporting on Samuel Johnson's life, or else some unknown writer in the second century, without any known predecessors or successors, suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern, novelistic, realistic narrative fiction. If these things didn't happen, the writer must have accomplished it. Or else it's nothing but a fraud. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned how to read. In other words, the whole thing of adding detail, specific detail to fiction, is a modern thing. You didn't have that in the ancient world. So he's saying either you know, this is factual reporting, eyewitness reporting, or someone in the second century who wasn't an eyewitness anticipated, without any known predecessors or successors, anticipated the whole technique, literary technique, of modern, realistic, novelistic, narrative fiction, where you include details in, in fictional. That's never been done before, and for hundreds of years after that, it still wasn't done. That's not realistic. This is eyewitness testimony. And through it, you can come and see. Through it, you too can come and see. Um, but, you know, not, not only that, um, Jesus, Jesus says, firstly, um, Philip says, when he goes to Nathaniel, he says, we have found the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. In other words, even the Old Testament, and Jesus endorses the Old Testament, even the Old Testament was written about Jesus. So even when you read the Old Testament, you can see Jesus. Yes, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus. But it is Jesus that you see. So you can even, by reading the Old Testament, you can come and see. Because it's about him that Moses and the prophets wrote in the Old Testament. So you can come and see. If you want to come and see, you must come and read. And, and it says in the very last verse that we read, Jesus says to, and, and the, the English in the NIV obscures this a bit, um, but it, it says Jesus added, truly I tell you, Literally, in the, in, in, in the Greek, it's amen, amen, I say to you. The, the old King James used to translate it, verily, verily, I say unto thee. <laughs> Some of you still remember that. <laughs> but amen, no one ever in the Old Testament said amen about what they said. No one. No one in the time of Jesus ever said amen about what they said personally. You always said amen about what someone else said. So they'd sit in the synagogue, someone would preach, and if you have examined it and said that it's biblical, it's true, you've evaluated and found it to be true, then you said amen. That is true, that is sure, that is accurate. Here comes Jesus, and he doesn't say amen. We don't say amen at the end of what Jesus says. Jesus himself says amen at the beginning of what he says. <laughs> Amen, amen, I say to you. And notice, in the Old Testament, the prophets used to say, Thus saith the Lord. 
Jesus never says that. Jesus never says, thus saith the Lord. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Can you see the difference? <laughs> Can you see the difference? He is not just one speaking about the Lord. He is the Lord himself who is speaking. And what we read in scripture is that. He's eyewitness testimony. So when we want to come and see, we must come and read. But learn to read well. Learn to read well and understand what we are really reading. So, so come and see means come and think. It means come and read. But it also means more than that. It's interesting. Um, in verse 29, which we didn't read, for the first time, John says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. And then in verse 35, which was the first verse we read, it says again, he sees Jesus a while later, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And it's interesting, the first time, the first time John the Baptist says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God, no one follows Jesus. The second time, only the second time, and we don't know it was you know, the second time, it might even be you know, the third or so time, but, but it's the second time that's recorded. But only then, when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, do these two disciples follow. Jesus instead of him. Now, what's going on there? And what's the challenge being, uh, and, and the encouragement being given to us there? It, it's, it's this. Come and see means come and follow. Come and follow. So I'm sure the first time John the Baptist said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God, I'm sure they believed him. I mean, they considered John the Baptist to be a prophet. So I'm sure they believed him. They thought, wow, this is the Lamb of God. This is that special guy, you know, the, the one that John the Baptist spoke about, that, the more powerful one that I'm not even worthy, worthy to untie the sandals of his feet. You know, he, it's that one. But they continued to follow John. And was the, I'm sure they, they believed what John said. They became part of the Jesus fan club and believed who Jesus was, but they weren't following him. They were still following John the Baptist. And you know, there are so many people who know about Jesus. But they don't really know Jesus because they don't follow him. They might even be part of the Jesus fan club and believe that what he said about him in Scripture is true. But they're not following him. Tim Keller explains it this way, and I think it's very good. He says... Let's take C.S. Lewis as an example. Say you joined the C.S. Lewis fan club. And you've read all his books. You know, you've read the Chronicles of Narnia. You've read Mere Christianity and God in the Dock and you know, all those books. And you love it and you're really a fan of C.S. Lewis. And you've read his books and they've really influenced your life. They've really touched your heart and encouraged you and so on. You're part of the C.S. Lewis fan club. I mean, that's one thing. But what if... You know, say, in the time of C.S. Lewis, you didn't just read his books and become part of his fan club, but you actually married him. How would your relationship be different from just being part of his fan club? In many ways, right? If you're just part of the C.S. Lewis fan club and his writings have affected you, but you've never really met him, then a part of his life has touched a part of your life. But if you marry him, then all of his life is going to touch all of your life. And then you're really going to know him, and he's really going to know you. I mean, you know, you know that when you get married, you know. It's, 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 it's like, you know, two lives are sort of stretched out next to each other, and, you know, there's very intimate contact between every part of those lives. You know, 
when you when you want to now go and buy a, a you know a, a loaf of bread you have to actually say um honey i'm going to buy a loaf of bread you know which you didn't have to do before <laughs> and everything in that person's life affects everything in your life because it's such an intimate relationship and 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 when you follow jesus it's like it's one thing knowing about him and being part of the Jesus fan club and saying, yes, I, I acknowledge who he is and what the Bible says who he is. And I even agree with that. But then taking that step to saying, but now I'm stepping into a marriage-like covenant relationship with him. Where it's not just a part of his life that affects a part of my life, but all of his life that affects all of my life. You know... We so easily treat church as a club rather than a community. What is a club? Oh, you have stamp collectors club. You know? Get together around the common passion for stamps you know, and stamp collecting. And you have, pull out your books and you show all the rare stamps that you have. And, but, I mean, you don't necessarily share the rest of your life with your stamp collector club buddies. That's why it's a club. It's just that around this one common interest that it's built. And so often we treat church like that. Oh, we have this one common interest in Jesus. So on Sundays and maybe Wednesday evenings, we're going to come together around our one common interest in Jesus. That's a club. That's not a community. In a club, you gather around one common interest. In a community, your lives are so intertwined that everything in your life touches everything in everyone else's life. It's a family. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Not a club, a community, a family. Um, so come and see means come and follow but come and see also means something more it means come come and discover or find together notice also that more than once it says something like X found Y and said we have found the one or the Messiah so Andrew found Peter and said, we have found the Messiah. And so, you know, Andrew says it to Peter. Actually, you know, even the, the, the example of, of Philip, uh, the translation there is actually not that great. You know, it literally says, and he went. It, it says the first thing he did, the very first thing that Andrew did was he found his brother and said, we have found the Messiah. Why does it say the first thing he did? Because the translation obscures it. But after that it said, and he went to Bethsaida. And it does the, in the NIV it says, and Jesus went. It takes the he as being Jesus. But actually, it's not he, Jesus, it's Andrew. He, Andrew went. So the second thing he did was went to Bethsaida and he found Philip. And just like he did with Peter, his brother, he introduced Philip to Jesus. And Jesus said to Philip, follow me. And then you have Philip going to Nathaniel. And what is he say? Exactly the same thing. He found Nathaniel and he said, we have found the one. So they have this repeated pattern again. And, and one of the surest signs that you have found the Messiah is that you want others to find him. One of the surest signs that you have found the one is that you want to find others and tell them about him. I mean, it's impossible when you're really excited about something, when you're really touched by something, when something has really changed your life, it's impossible to keep it to yourself. When you're passionate about something, you talk about it all the time, you gush. And it just bubbles over. 
You're so excited about it. And that's one of the surest signs that you have actually found the Messiah, is that you want to go and find others for him. And say, guess what? You know, I found you and I want to tell you that I found him. I found Jesus. I found the Messiah. Um, but, but more than that, it tells us that this, this whole thing of coming and seeing, this whole thing, this whole journey of discovery is not meant to be a, dis- a journey that you take alone. There's an old, um, I think it's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And come and see, and, and, and them doing this together means that ideally, if you want to come and see, you have to come with others. Because we learn best when we process with others what we have learned. So it's one thing to come and see, but you need a group around you. You need people who are going this journey with you that you can share this journey with. Otherwise, it's not going to last. And, and, and that is the reality. Statistically, and uh, we see that people who try and come and see Jesus, but they do it alone, sort of me in front of my TV, you know, trying to discover Jesus, you know, and, and be spiritual, or, or, or me, you know, reading a book, or me sort of listening to podcasts and, and going it alone, that, that almost never lasts. More than 90% of, of people who only do that fall away, statistically. Those who stay with Jesus, who not only come and see Jesus, but come and follow Jesus, are those who don't do it alone. What am I saying? I'm saying that following Jesus is a team sport. Imagine the Springboks playing against the All Blacks but they send one guy onto the field against the whole all-back team. I mean, they're going to get wiped. You don't play a team sport by yourself. Even, let's take it a step further, even if you could take that one person and multiply them. Let's take A.B. de Villiers. I mean, he's widely recognized as probably the best batsman in the world, right? He can even bowl a bit. He can even do wicket-keeping a bit. He's a great fielder, okay? But if... If you could take A.B. de Villiers and multiply him by, how many guys do you have in a cricket team? Eleven. Eleven. <laughs> eleven. And you have eleven A.B. de Villiers on the team. They would lose almost every time. Because you don't have a Dale Stone. Or a Vernon Philander. Or a Hashim Amla. In other words, on the team you need not, you don't need the same person. You need different people. Okay? And it's the same with Christianity. It's a team sport. Don't try and play it alone. When you come and see, don't come alone. Find friends to come and find with you what you are looking for. <clears throat> and then, and this is, to me is so powerful. When you come and see, this is, this is actually amazing. When you come and see, you discover to your great surprise an astonishment that by the time you see Jesus, he has already seen you. That's exactly what happens with Peter and with Nathaniel. Andrew brings Peter, and what does Jesus say to Peter before he even says a word? You are Simon Peter. You, you are Simon, but I tell you from now and you'll be called Cephas, which is an Aram- Aramaic word, and then he translates it into Greek, which means Petros or rock. Cephas and, and Petros both mean rock. Simon means read. 
And here, Peter comes, he's now saying, okay, I'm going to come and see. And then he comes and he sees and he realizes he has been seen already. He's, being, he's seeing someone who has already seen him and knows his name. Knows not only what his name is and who he is, but knows what he's going to be. You are a reed. You're Simon the reed. But you will be Peter the rock. And he blesses him and he tells him what he's going to be. And throughout the Gospels, Peter is this reed. I mean, he's blown by the wind, you know, and he's like flopping around. But after Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden he's this rock. And one of the leaders, even amongst the apostles. And it's amazing what Jesus' words do. One of my favorite definitions of grace is grace is the means by which God creates what he commands. Jesus speaking over Peter that he was Peter the rock actually created that. Gave the grace for that very thing to be created in Peter's life and for Peter to become that. So come, when you come and see, you discover that you have been seen. The same happens with Nathaniel, doesn't it? Exactly the same. So, so Nathaniel comes to Jesus, to see Jesus, and as he's coming on, when Jesus sees him, he says, Behold, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. It, it actually, it doesn't say a, a true Israelite, an Israelite who is true and in whom there is no deceit or no guile. And <clears throat> there's a bit of a play on words there because Israel was the name of the, the, the other name of who? Jacob. The father of the twelve patriarchs. And in the next verses he talks about, you'll see the, the angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. Remember the story of Jacob's ladder? How he, has, he sleeps on this rock and he has this dream about the stairway, Jacob's ladder, the stairway to heaven and the angels ascending and descending on it. So that clearly Jacob's in the background. And he, what was he? he his name meant supplanter or deceiver. And he was full of guile. He was full of deceit. I mean, he deceived his older brother Esau out of his birthright. In fact, his older brother says these two times now. My brother Jacob has deceived me. And he was then, after wrestling with God, he was called Israel. And, and here, Jesus looks at Nathaniel, And he says, here is an Israel, Israelite who is not like the father Israel, Jacob, a deceiver, but who is true, in whom there is no guile, in whom there is no deceit. And he clearly struck a nerve with, with Nathaniel. And, and Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? And then Jesus says, while you were sitting under the fig tree, before Philip came to call you, I saw you. Now some commentators say, yeah, Jesus was just passing by and he saw, he saw Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. But I mean, if that were the case, I mean, remember this is a summary of the historic event. If that were the case, wouldn't Nathaniel have asked something like, oh, oh when did you see me? When did you pass by and see me? Why is Nathaniel so surprised? Why does his response, Lord, truly you are the Messiah. Truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the King of Israel. Why does he respond like that if Jesus had just walked by, you know, a few minutes before and seen him sitting under the fig tree? We don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. But something about what Jesus said made him realize, this guy knows me. He knows everything about me. There was something very personal and, and uh, that was happening there maybe that Jesus knew about and that he was alluding to. And this guy realized, 
oh my goodness, this guy has really seen me. He's, he really knows me. He knows everything about me. And, and this is a repeated theme in the Gospel of John. You know, when, when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman in, in, in John 4, when, when she goes back to the city, what does she say to the people of Samaria, of, of the city of Sychar? Come and see a man that has told me everything I ever did. <laughs> you know, and, and there's this repeated phrase that, that Jesus really knows. In other words, when you come and see Jesus, you come and discover someone who knows everything about you. But get this. Nathaniel came and he discovered this Jesus, this someone who knows everything about him. And what does he do? He praises Nathaniel and he says, Behold, an Israelite who is true in whom there is no deceit. I think that's amazing. I mean, I, I don't think Nathaniel, I'm, I'm under no illusion that Nathaniel was perfect and had no sin in his life. And Nathaniel probably, if he were truly not, you know, if there was no deceit in him, he'd know that he himself is a sinner. And guess what? When he comes to Jesus, Jesus says nothing about that. If Jesus knows everything about him, Jesus knows all about that, and yet Jesus says nothing about that. What does Jesus talk about? I like you. You are honest. You are true. You have no guile in you. Isn't it amazing how when we come to Jesus, even though he knows everything about us, he doesn't focus only on our sins. But he actually is able, by his grace, to see beyond our sins and see good in us. And like with Peter, call it out by saying, you are the rock. <clears throat> you know, all of us need, all of us have a deep need to be loved and accepted and respected by people that we love and respect. Have you ever... <clears throat> have you ever experienced that from, from someone that you respect? Someone that you really love and respect and, and they, they reciprocate that love and respect. I mean, when you fall in love, isn't that exactly what happens? Isn't that exactly what happens? You, you so admire this person. You so adore this person. You so respect this person. And then you discover to your absolute delight that they feel the same about you. <laughs> And you're like, oh, you know, I can't believe this, you know. <laughs> she actually loves me, you know. And how does that make you feel? I mean, that's why love and being in love is so intoxicating, isn't it? It's like, wow, this person that I love actually loves me back. It's one of the most amazing feelings in the world. And that is exactly the feeling we should get when we realize how Jesus feels about us. When we come and see Jesus and realize that he's this amazing, the most amazing person who ever lived and he knows everything about us. I mean, when we fall in love and someone else falls in love with us, we can sort of mitigate it by saying, but they don't yet know me, you know. Give it about five years of marriage. In fact, give it two years of marriage. <laughs> they probably won't love and respect and admire me as much anymore because then they'll actually know. They actually only love me and respect because they don't know me that well yet. <laughs> They've created this nice fantasy, you know, of who they think I am. Who they think, yes, Jesus, who has no illusions about who we really are, and yet he loves us so much. How's that supposed to make you feel? How's that supposed to make you feel? Someone who knows everything about you and still loves you. 
That's amazing. Come and be seen. And finally, come and see means come and experience. Jesus says to Nathaniel when he says, Lord, you know, well, now I realize, you know, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He said, you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? I tell you, you see greater things than these. And then he specifies some of those greater things. He says, you will see the heavens opened. And you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And he's referring back to that dream. The story goes like this. Jacob in the Old Testament is in Genesis 28, for those of you who want to read it. He goes, gets sent by his mother, or his father, I think, to go and find a wife um, amongst his, his kinsmen, his, his family, quite a way. And, and, he, and he's traveling through the desert, and he, and he sleeps with his head on a rock, you know, as they often did in those days. You, know, you don't have a, you know, one of those nice traveling, you know, pillows that goes around your neck, you know, on the aeroplane, you know, he didn't have one of those, you know, so he had to make do with a rock. So he sleeps on this rock, and he has this dream, the heavens open, and he sees the stairway to heaven, and the angels ascending and descending upon it, and, and he wakes up and he anoints the rock with oil, oil, an anointing with oil being symbolic of the Holy Spirit, anoints the rock, and he says, and he calls the place Bethel, which means house of God, Beth is, is the Hebrew word for or comes from the Hebrew word for, for house, and Al from the Hebrew word Elohim. So house of God. And he says, surely the Lord is here, and I didn't realize it. In other words, he calls the place the house of God, the gateway to heaven, the stairway to heaven, the link between heaven and earth. And here Jesus says, when you come and see, you will not only see that you are known and loved by me, even though you don't deserve it, you will see who I really am. You will see that everything in the Old Testament is about me. You will see that I am Jacob's ladder. I am Bethel, the house of God. You will see that I am the rock that has been anointed with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. You will see that I am the very presence of God on earth. And I am the stairway to I am the way to God. If you want to get to God, you want to, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to... It doesn't say, I, I show you the stairway to heaven, and if you work hard enough, then you can, with lots of sweat and in, uh, discipline, you can climb the stairway to heaven. He says, I am the stairway to heaven. And here's what you discover when you discover Jesus as the stairway to heaven. Here's what you discover. You discover that the stairway is there not to show you how you can get to God, but to show you how God has gotten to you. I am Bethel. I am. And, 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 then, and then, you, then you say like Jacob said, surely the Lord is here and I didn't realize it. Surely the Lord has come to me and I didn't realize it. And that's what makes Christianity so different from every other religion. Every other religion is a stairway to heaven that you must climb by your own strength, by your own effort, to deserve, to earn the right into heaven. Christianity is God coming, who is the stairway and who comes down to you and abides with His presence right where you are and says to you, come and see. Come and see. Come and see that I've come to you. Come and see that I'm God with you. 
come and see that just like I am metaphorically the rock anointed with the Holy Spirit, you, I, I'm the one who can anoint you with the Holy Spirit. So that my presence, my Holy Spirit can be with you forever. Come and see. Come and see that you are fully known and yet fully loved. Come and see that there is grace to make you what you could be and should be, but cannot be in your own strength. Come and see. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make you want to go and find someone and say, come and see? <laughs> come and see this one. Oh, we found the one. He's so amazing. He's the one. He's the Messiah. And I'm confident because He loves me and I know myself. <laughs> Listen here. If He loves me, He can love you. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> come and see. This is better than you realize. 